Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping quit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, foes, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show! Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy, guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello there, hi, hey, hello there, hi, welcome, welcome, welcome one and all, welcome to another episode of the Derek Duvall Show. I am yours truly, Derek, and this is another episode of the hottest internet talk show. So hot, you might want to think about wearing other mitts when listening to it. We've got another amazing episode lined up for you and more about our guest in a minute. First, the Super Bowl has just passed. Congratulations to the Los Angeles Rams on a hell of a game. I watched some of it, but Mrs. Duvall and I were so determined to finish the last episode of Cobra Kai... We watched the first and second quarter, the halftime show, and then Cobra Kai in the last three minutes of the fourth quarter. And how about that halftime show, folks? I was expecting a giant seven-second tape delay. But man, I, I, it takes a man to admit he's wrong. I was awesome. It was awesome. Dr. Dre looked fit. Also, having Eminem and Dre on stage at the same time and they don't do Forgot About Dre, missed opportunity. And also... Where was the Tupac hologram? That's what I was thinking was going to be like the key ingredient that would have sent this into the stratosphere. That aside, I mean, I'm, to be fair, come on, Tupac hologram, that would be awesome. Anyway, that aside, it was still an amazing show. I put in easily in the conversation the top five of all time. Yes, Prince is still the goat in that department. Who else can play an electric guitar and then summon rain on command to play Purple Rain? That is God mode, folks. God mode. I want to welcome all of my new listeners that join us today, especially from Romania. I was extra pleased to see how we have now a following in this country. I have had great friends visit there, and they all say amazing things. So, welcome, my fellow Romanians. Welcome, welcome. And that brings us to the reason we are all here today. This is episode 43. I have been holding on to this interview for a few months as I felt the timing was never right to release it. Before I announce the guest, I want to say I've been doing the Derek Duvall show now for a while. I'm well into my second year and I have to be 100% honest and say that the following guest is in my top three all-time favorites so far. The conversation was fun, fluid, and it left me an even bigger fan than when I started. So, we have on the show actor and producer Eric King. Eric will be talking about where he grew up, his introduction to acting, various roles he has played, including Oz, 
taking some of your questions, his brand new Broadway project, and of course, his legendary portrayal of Sergeant James Dokes in the pop culture juggernaut, Dexter. He is, without a doubt, a gentleman through and through, so let's just get him out here. Duval Nation, rise to your feet, and welcome to the show, someone I am truly privileged to have met, the incomparable Mr. Eric King. Eric, good afternoon. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How has your day been so far? My day is great, man. It's, you know, in the, considering the circumstances we're under at this point, uh, you know, I'm safe. Everybody in my family is pretty much safe. So we're, I'm good. And I thank you for asking. You're welcome. Which brings me, of course, into the next question, which has been, how hard has it been for you in this crazy pandemic world we're living in? How has it been for you to navigate it? It has been a navigation, that's for sure. Uh, and I appreciate the word hard because in some ways it has been difficult, but in other ways it's been a great opportunity for reflection and reverence stillness especially you know you you're coming off of this whole george floyd murder and and social justice political climate it just felt like we all needed to go within so in some ways it's been it's been a challenge but yeah it is definitely it's definitely a, re, a reset and for some people it's it's i think that reset derek is more chaotic for some than others uh it depends on uh where you were before the pandemic you know whether it's in personal relationships, whether it's in business, whether it's, you know, um, dreams or, or goals that you had, this has been an opportunity to really take a moment and take stock. So for some people, it's been more intense. For me personally, it's, it's, uh, it's been a journey. That's the way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to internalize it. So I always like to take things back to the beginning. I think it's more fun that way. And uh, sure. what was it like to grow up in Washington, D.C. in the 60s and the 70s? Wow, man. <laughs> I don't know if I think if you're looking at it on the outside, it looked like a monolith in my community. But I, I'm realizing now that it was pretty insulated. My parents worked for the, the government, as, as we called it back then, even though my father was in law enforcement as well. Those were steady, good jobs for African-Americans living in the Washington, D.C. metro area. So, you know, we did the things that kids do. You know, we played ball in the street. We, we hung out with our friends. Uh, we were respectful of neighbors. We had doors. You could leave your doors unlocked. You know, we could do all of those things. And so I didn't really know what the world was on the outside until I became an adult and realized things weren't as insulary as I thought they were. So it was fun. It was, a, you know, <laughs> you know a, a lot of fun, man. It was a I lot remember, of fun. I remember Sean Connery said something, um, oh, a couple of years ago at a, a, an award ceremony, he was talking about how when he was growing up in Scotland, he uh, he wasn't very well off. But the best part about it was was all the people around him were also not well off. So he had nothing to Absolutely. compare his life to. And uh, yeah. I, I thought yeah. that was the, it was very profound, that was. Exactly, Derek. I think you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> until you know it. Exactly. And then you realize, wow, people are living differently than I am, you know, mm-hmm. especially if you had lo- I had loving parents. They did their best. I had a, a loving community. They did their best. And so when you're inside of that space, you think that that is the entire world, especially as a child. So I got to ask, what were your favorite shows growing up? Oh, my God. What were my favorite shows? I didn't watch a lot of TV, to be honest with you. But uh, I'd say, wow, what were my favorite? Well, you know, for, for me as an African-American, the Jeffersons, All in the Family, I guess I, now I'm thinking about it, I think I probably leaned towards shows that were more controversial 
and oh, Soul Train, my, my ex. There you go, Derek. Soul, <laughs> Soul Train. Soul Train was appointment TV. You know what I'm saying? On oh, Saturday yeah. morning, you watch Soul Train, man, and figure out what the steps were. And, you know, I was in D.C., of course, and these were people in California. They had fashion. They had, you know, dance steps, Don Cornelius, new music that was coming out. Music was big in my house. I will say that. I probably was more into music than I was to to watching into watching television. So, do you ever go onto YouTube and watch any of the old uh, episodes of Soul Train? Absolutely, I do. Yeah, man. And some of those moments I remember. When I was growing up in Great Britain, the big one was Top of the Pops. It was on every every day after school. It's, in fact, it's still on actually. And uh, that was the one that every now and again I'll go back and, like I said, I grew up in the '80s. So seeing you know old episodes of Top of the Pops kind of brings you to a real nostalgic place. Uh, mm. Nostalgia could be a very powerful thing. So yeah. And top of the pops, I assume, is is music that was at the top of the pop, yes. pop chart. Yes, yeah. correct. And it wasn't just pop; it was you know rock or or, or hip hop sure. or or anything. Sure. Just whatever was in the Billboard, if you want to call it the Billboard charts at the time. So it was a yeah. chance, for, chance for artists to go out there and just perform on a national stage. So, what age did you decide you wanted to pursue a career in acting? Uh, pursue a career. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a little background. My I was. My mother often called me a precocious child, a child who was always into things. Uh, I later came to realize I was a very uh, empathetic child, somebody who was always trying to connect to people and understand people. So, you know, of course, that that's both, that bodes well for me as an actor now. But the reason I share that is because I think my mother had a vision for me that I didn't have for myself. I remember getting involved in a program called the Workshop for the Careers in the Arts. Uh, Howard University students were teaching urban kids about you know the arts and i remember my mom you know she always karate class this that and the other and i was like ah, i don't want to do piano i don't want to do karate i don't anything she wanted me to do i didn't want to do but you know turns out that i enjoyed doing them you know and, and i understood their value later but that was one of the things she put me in this program after school and on saturdays and you had to learn about dance and music and acting and i was like i don't want to do this i want to hang out in the streets with my friends you know <laughs> but she had the foresight but to answer your question, I didn't. I went through the workshop for the careers in the arts, which later became the Duke Ellington School of Performing Arts in Washington D.C. But it wasn't until my uncle drove me to New York in his Opal GT. Now that's an old car. That's an old car. <laughs> right. And he took me to see The Wiz on Broadway with Stephanie Mills. Ah. And right, sitting in the balcony, probably the mezzanine, and watching the red curtain go up and the orchestra gear up, live orchestra, and the dog runs out on stage and Stephanie Mills follows. And, and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. Of course, an all African-American cast. And that wasn't something that I had, I had been exposed to. And I thought, are people making a living doing this? This is like their real job, right? <laughs> because that's not the background that I came from. So I think it was in that moment, Derek, that I realized this was a possibility. I could actually have a life doing this, a life telling stories, a life playing characters, and have people give me an immediate response to it. So, yeah, I think that's when the decision came to mind. I remember my going to college and my father saying to me, well, what are you going to fall back on? And, you know, full of piss and vinegar, I would say to him, come on, man, I'm not falling back. I'm only going forward. So <laughs> that's, you know, but it, it, it allowed me the opportunity to know that again that the world was bigger than I than I thought it was. And it's just a trip to the Broadway, man. <laughs> it's crazy. 
you mentioned the falling back. Uh, I remember Robin Williams' Oscar speech where he said, uh, when he told his dad he wanted to be an actor, and his dad said, a backup career like welding. I think that's, that's wow. Great. That's a great one. Wow. That was the talent there, Robin Williams. My oh, God. Lord. Force of nature he was. Yeah. 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 I worked with him on a show called Cadillac Man, a film with, mm. I think, Annabella Shiora and Fran Dresser. Yeah, man. yeah. And, and we would, you know, between takes, Robin would really just go off. He would just like a riff and you think, wow, the genius of this man. And when I say that the, you know, the cast and crew would be completely captivated, it was, it was incredible, man. He was an incredible talent and very inspiring to watch. And, and then, of course, you know, when we're set up, we're ready to go. He was into his work. He knew exactly what he was doing. But to see the genius of that man face to face, very inspiring. I always found it inspiring. I mean, if you ever watch his dramatic work, of course, everybody knows him for his mm. his, his, his comedy is legendary. But his dramatic work, Good Morning Vietnam, Miss, um, oh, wow. Good Will Hunting, Good Will Hunting, and exactly. Insomnia, I, he was just he was such a diverse, overall around actor. It was well uh, one of the very few times I've ever been actually truly broken up when when someone has left this. But uh, yeah, that was that was a hard day for a lot of people. Yeah, and that just shows you how gifted he was, as, as you say, how gifted he was as an actor, that he could jump between, between genres like that, and basically was really great at telling stories, whether those stories were Mork and Mindy, or like you said, Goodwill Hunting, or just stand-up, hmm. you know, all the work that he'd done, that, you know, raising money with, with uh, Billy Crystal and, and Whoopi Goldberg, I mean, Goldberg, this yeah. man was... He, he lived a very full life. God bless him. You mentioned you attended uh, Duke Ellington. Do you have any favorite memories from your time there? Oh, yeah. I have a lot of memories, man. <laughs> I have a lot of memories. I have... Because it was... A, again, coming from the background that I came from, the idea of that level of freedom to explore my thoughts, my feelings, uh, our community, it was... Yeah, it was, it, was, it was incredible, man. Just the opportunity to just go inward i think that's that's what i'm what i'm thinking i'm trying to think of a specific situation i can't think of that as much as i can you know they say that the you know the feeling stays with you it was that feeling of freedom mm -hmm. a feeling of of learning about new artists um and just painting outside of the lines mm -hmm. <laughs> you know were there were there actors that you aspired you know to be influenced by at the time yeah sure I, you know i mean all the you know the, the classics like like Sidney Poitier or yeah. or Harry Belafonte or you know because there was such dignity in their work and such dignity and grace in their storytelling there was a way again you you mentioned a particular period of time there was a way that those particular African American men walked in the world that took up space that owned space mm -hmm. and gave voice to. So yeah, I admired those are the actors that I admired. I was wow, this is their work is incredible. Absolutely incredible. You broke into television with appearances on NYPD Blue Jag and more before you landed it on the absolutely fantastic season four of Oz. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So what was yeah. the biggest challenge you you faced bringing uh, Moses Devel to life? Well, you know, Moses Dial was a little off. <laughs> he killed he killed his uh his his girlfriend for cheating on him mm -hmm. with her husband. <laughs> so he, was, he was a little off, you know, he had yeah. a different moral compass. Uh, but my, the biggest challenge I think was to not make him a stereotype, you know, to, yeah. to give him some breadth and some depth and to try to figure out where, 
the places in which he was hurt, to have empathy for the character, for the for his humanity, right? I mean, it's you know he reaches through the wall, he he kills this guy who who calls him you know uh, the N word, if you will. Yeah. But across from his cell was Shirley Bellinger, who was also on on death row, and to be able to connect to her. Uh, you know, that was the brilliance of that show, to bring humanity to all of those people who've done these heinous things. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was the challenge, to just remember the fullness of his life. You appeared in the film National Treasure, which ended up being a box office juggernaut. Uh, what, was it, what was it like to work on that film? Uh, do you have any, you have any interesting recollections or, or fun stories from that time? I don't know that I have any. Uh, if I'm really completely honest, I mean, it was such a big blockbuster movie and it was such a, a dense script. If you, you know, if we, if we, if you really look, look at the whole Mason thing, I mean, it was, it was so intense. I felt like at that point as an actor that I was just a cock in the wheel uh, to, to, to play my part. I mean, again, I was playing a cop, you know, yeah. FBI cops, <laughs> you know, but to be able to be on set and watch Nicolas Cage and watch, uh, some of the actors that, that that were in the film, that as a young actor, mm-hmm. just like as, as it was for say Street Smart, I did Street Smart years ago with Morgan Freeman and yeah. and uh, Christopher Reeves, you know, and, and Andre Gregory. To be around those actors and hear them tell stories, I'll share with you something, Derek, that I, I learned. On, although you didn't ask me about this show, but it's a, it's an example of I was there absorbing as much as I could, and we were at lunch one day. I heard Morgan Freeman talking to Andre Gregory, and he said, um, one of them, I can't remember which of them said it, but I, I remember sitting at the end of the table at lunch because, you know, it was, I was being deferential, of course, but I was ear hustling, as we call it, right? And uh, he said, the thing about getting older is the things that were so important in your 20s and 30s just aren't important anymore. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was in that age range, and I was like, wow, to have that kind of freedom to have that kind of clarity. I didn't even know exactly what it meant, but I knew it was something I was moving in the direction of Mm. and I was looking forward to it. So sometimes when I'm working, it's not just about the work and the memory of the work. It is the memory of the experience and the lessons that I learned from these incredible people who happen to be actors. I mentioned earlier, um, I've I've had um, another actor on the show. He said something very similar is that he's had some very, very good experiences on sets that, he, you know, he'll take with him, you know, the rest of his life. And he's had some experiences where, like you said, he felt like he was just, you know, a cog in the wheel to just try and get a bigger project done. And I I definitely, I think uh, that that relates very well. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish I did have, you know, again, the the camaraderie actors who were doing the kind of work that I was doing, you know, playing other FBI agents and so forth. Certainly there was camaraderie and connection, but it did feel like it was a bigger thing that we were a part of. And I think sometimes, especially as a young actor, it's important to know how to play your position, mm-hmm. right? To listen, to observe, absorb, to learn. And I felt like in that partic- at that particular point in my career and also in that particular film, working on that film, that's what I was there to do, to absorb as much as I could. That brings us up to your most popular role, Sergeant James Dokes in the yeah. brilliant show Dexter. How were yeah, you approached man. to play that role and what challenges did you have to overcome? I was, uh, you know, did, uh, did the thing that most actors do, did an audition, did callbacks, went to the network, booked the job. I mean, you know, I wish it was more uh, interesting than that. But the challenge was to, again, it's always the, the same thing for me, to bring some humanity to these characters. James Dokes was a hard ass, right? He was, uh, 
you know, a pit bull. When he's on to something, he's on to something. And, you know, again, growing up in a household with a, a father who was in law enforcement, um, having other characters or people, <laughs> characters, interesting, I said that, people in my family that I drew from, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, for that character. The biggest challenge, again, was to, to get people to understand, to get the other characters to understand that something was off with this guy. Something was off, and I was not letting it go until I found out what it was, right? Mm -hmm. So for as an actor, to, to find the, the, I hate to say it this way, but the, the, the underbelly of who Dopes was mm -hmm. and try to do that within all of the F-words, F-bombs that I had to drop, right? Which I totally enjoyed doing, to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> like, where on TV can you can you drop the F-bomb like that, bro? No, no. <laughs> you know? it's, it's, it's getting a little easier on, like, FX and stuff. But, yeah, you're right. It was, it was definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's back, especially back then. You're talking 2006, 2008, you know? Yeah. Yep. You didn't see a lot of that on TV. Nope. And and to see cops, have cops stop me in the street going, oh, yeah, that's my sergeant. Oh, yeah, that's I know that dude, <laughs> you know? You know, or just... I would come down the escalator. I went. I have a story, Derek. I was coming down the es the escalator in I think Century City in Los Angeles at one point, and somebody was going up the escalator, and they yelled. They yelled at me, "Leave, leave Dexter alone!" And I'm like, "Wait a minute, he's a serial killer, <laughs> right? Like, Dokes was a righteous man. He was a righteous man who believed that what he was doing was right. So sometimes that was a challenge. You know, I had a great cast. I had great great writing the show was amazing what was it like to work with michael c hall that's always a funny question i always want to know what was it like for michael c hall to work with me um no, it was uh it was it was um michael c hall is a, a consummate professional great sense of sense of humor always prepared mm -hmm. and a good guy good north carolina guy you know mike is a he's a great person and it was i enjoyed working with him and as, as you know, as we see from things that he's done since and before Dexter, he's so multi-talented and mm -hmm. multifaceted. You know, this guy is uh, uh, Mike always brings his A game. There was a, a there was a show on Netflix about uh, the royal family, and they cast him as President Kennedy. And mm. I, me, and I, I know several people. They were all just that's a stroke of genius. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a very talented man. Whether he's doing a musical or I mean, he's done so much stuff. His, his body of work is so it's 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 incredible it's impressive and it yeah. continues okay Duval nation we're going to go ahead and take a quick break that gives you a chance to reset get a new beverage check your email real quick do some of those nice deep breathing exercises and we'll be right back after these words from a few friends of the show i'm derek one of the hosts of return to oswald return to oswald is a podcast about the iconic hbo show oz and we started it quite simply because my friend Brandon has never seen a single episode and we loved living through his horror. Scar, Brandon, and myself get together every Tuesday and discuss this show episode by episode, season by season. We have great conversations and nothing gets held back. We respect each other too much to lie. And we talk about how absurd this show really is when you look back at it. Like, how long is the time frame in Oz? People are getting executed within like three days of getting there. And why do they show people if they're just going to kill them within eight minutes? That did happen. And why hire so many rappers to play bit roles? Is there a quota? 
Why is there a direct pipeline between this show, The Corner, and The Wire? Oh, and The Sopranos. We didn't forget about y'all. Also, how does Adebisi's hat stay on? Why didn't anybody ever notice he had a CD player in his drawers? And why won't they put cameras up in that gym? These are all questions we talk about and more. So check us out. Go to linktree backslash HBO RTO to find our latest episode. You can also just type us into your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for checking us out. The train! Let's beat it! Come on, hurry! We can make it! Hey, stop! It's too late to cross! Hold up! That's a dangerous game you two were playing. Listen to your friend Chris. Those gates are provided as a warning to let you know that it's not safe to cross. We could have been hurt. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Hi, I'm Kay. And I'm Jay. We all know that a lot of us spend most of our waking hours at work. So naturally, the majority of our stories come from the many different characters and situations we run into at the workplace. Because of this, we bring you the Toasty! My Work Life Podcast. On this podcast, we will be sharing your stories from the workplace, no matter what they may be, so we can all laugh and commiserate together. Does someone at work have horrible habits? Crazy bosses that have no idea what they're doing? Hilarious blow-ups from coworkers? Even if you just need to rant, we want to hear it. Everything will be completely anonymous, so don't be afraid to spill your guts. That's right. All names of people and companies will not be disclosed, so send us your best. No story is too small. Email your stories to fmwlpod at gmail.com. That's fmwlpod at gmail.com. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. For more fun content, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at FMWLPod. We can't wait to hear from you. Bye. Bye. Okay, welcome back to the Derek Duvall Show. I hope you enjoy that nice, tasty beverage as we get back to our amazing interview with Hollywood actor, Mr. Eric King. You mentioned your uh, the, the, the language. I got to ask this question. So I had the great Robert Hayes of Airplane fame on the show a few months ago and we asked him mm. about being recognized for being you know one of film history's greatest lines surely you can't be serious now right other than samuel L. jackson no one has ever done the uh the word that's right mother effer to uh, that's right eloquently that's uh, right <laughs> was that something you brought yourself to the role or, or was that uh, just great writing I cannot tell you how many F-bombs were in that script, my friend. The, <laughs> the, the beauty, the beauty of, of the opportunity to play that role is that it's, those words sit well inside of me. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, they wrote those words. That's ah. not mine. <laughs> right. <laughs> almost every, I would say almost every F-bomb you heard, and especially surprise MF, yeah. that was not new. You know, it, it, yeah. it sits within me, of course. Uh, and easy to deliver, and I enjoy doing it, but they wrote it. That's good writing. Do do people walk up to you in the street and ask you to say, surprise mother effer? They do. They do it for birthday parties. <laughs> they do it for, you know, they hit me up on, I'm not huge on social media, but, yeah. you know, they do that with social media. Uh, and, you know, pretty much I don't mind. Of course, during, during COVID I do, yeah. and I'm enjoying wearing a mask, but... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, people do that all the time. I, and, I, and you know, I got Derek. It was it was it was um it was arresting to me at first because again, I'm not huge on social media, and again, right. we have to talk about the time period that all of this started. But it was arresting to have my work pulled out of context, mm-hmm. and then I of course had to accept the fact that one, this is the direction we're going in, and two, you know, with the memes and all of that. That it's 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 just where we are, you know, and it's a compliment. But initially, I'm like, wow. If you take that out of context, it looks different than when I when I did it. Right. You know, it you feels know, different. You know, it's funny. You can go, like you said, you know, social media is what it is. But anytime something you know shocking happens or or something like that, almost 99.9% positive, someone will have a GIF file or use the meme surprise mother. But, you know effort exactly and exactly it, it's just it just works so beautifully and you just like, oh that's so awesome you know and so forth so yeah and it feels like a compliment now but initially, oh, absolutely. It, I, it didn't feel like that initially i was like wow are, are, are they making fun of me is are they spoofing <laughs> me like what are they doing here you know and now of course i love it you know because a, a, a well-placed surprise mf is a really good thing it is <laughs> yeah so, man so what was it like to say goodbye to such an iconic role it was difficult. I certainly understood, uh, and the producers couldn't have been kinder. They, you know, they brought me in. They talked to me about it. Uh, I wanted to protect my cast. I mean, they told me long before the show actually, before you know, the, the character actually met his demise. And so I was more concerned about the cast, to be honest with you. But I totally understood why. I don't believe that Dokes could have gone seven seasons, eight seasons, going M- surprise MF, and. No truly had the integrity of, of, of who he was. He needed to find something. And we, you know, again, we're, we're relying on John Lindsay's work, Jeff Lindsay's work, uh, the book initially. And that's what happened. Do you know? I mean, you can't let this man authentically be who he is and not find what he needed to find. Right. So it, it just happened to ha- happen to be in season two. As an actor, what do you think has been the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome so far? Staying centered in who I am as a person. <laughs> you know, and not being swayed by whether I'm working, not working, whether I'm uh, keeping a full life. I guess that's the best way to say it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a support group facilitator. I am a, a trained life coach. So just being able to wear different hats and be centered in the things that are important to me, the things that I value, my family, my friends, doing new work, having a full life. And the reason I bring that up is because when I work with young actors, it's the, we're sometimes so focused on what we do that we're not focused on who we are. Mm-hmm. In having more clarity about who we are, of course, it feeds and undergirds what we end up doing, right? Because it, it informs the work. But more importantly, you're not swayed by trends. You're not swayed by the pandemic. You're not swayed by whether you're working or not. Your identity doesn't come from the work. That's, that's me personally. Mm-hmm. For some actors, that's not true, you know? And some of them find themselves in really dark places. And, you know, not to say that I have great days every day. Right. But whether I'm working or not working as an actor, Derek, I'm still clear on who I am and the things that are important to me and the things that I value. So that's been the biggest I admire, challenge. I admire that. I appreciate you. When we announced yeah. that you were coming on the show, uh, I asked fans to send in a few questions. And I chose a few okay. of the best. So here we go. Okay. okay. Yep. First one. Let's do it. First one. You were in the cult classic Stay Tuned. Uh, mm. it's, it's, it's stand the test of time. It is, uh, has quite a loyal following. Uh, do you have any uh, you know, memories of working on that show? I remember John Ritter. <laughs> That's what I remember. 
I remember John Ritter, man. I remember, wow. I remember his grace. Mm-hmm. I remember his generosity, you know? And the show was, it's a quirky show, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah, it was, it, yeah, that's what I remember most, man. Again, I always remember what I felt mm-hmm. and the experience that I walked away with. I don't always remember, you know, things that happen from day to day. Right. You know, great. I'm not a great storyteller in that way, unfortunately. Um, but I do remember him, man, and, and, and what a great guy he was. Next question. Um, and I was not made aware of it even existed until recently, and I have watched it many times since. Are you aware of the Sergeant Dokes Wheel of Fortune video on YouTube? <laughs> I am. <laughs> wow, Derek, you're good, man. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I am aware of that. I was made aware of it because of a a, a website, I believe, called, I, I think it's called Sur- SurpriseMF.com uh-huh. or something like that. And it's got all of these places where Doke shows up, right? <laughs> so it's, it's the Wheel of Fortune. He shows up in um, Ghost, <laughs> right? <laughs> You know, they've inserted him into the movie yeah. Ghost, uh, this, The Sixth Sense, I think it is, they, they inserted him in. So, yeah, that's what I saw. It was, it was, it's pretty funny, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you relax about, and for me, that's the case. When you relax about this, it, just take the ride, exactly. <laughs> you know? So, the last question is, and, and this one's a, kind of a fun one. Uh, what music or shows are you currently listening to or watching right now? What shows am I watching right now? Again, I'm not a huge TV watcher. I watch a lot of news. That's probably yeah. not going to be very interesting. Man, why don't I have this? I just listened to this country music guy that I, I, I liked a lot. Why don't I pull up my playlist? There you go. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> right? Let's pull up Spotify's playlist and see what we have here, my friend. I've been listening to, ah, Burna Boy, he's called, mm-hmm. D-U-R-N-A. Boy, I've been listening to him. I've been listening to a lot of Afro Latin and Afro Caribbean music. Hmm. Um, I like it in the gym. I like the vibe, you know. Yeah, so that's what I've been listening to. Tell us about Thoughts of a Colored Man because that that really in- interested me when I, I read about it. Yeah, man, it's 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 a rare opportunity to see African American men on stage living their lives fully. It's about seven men in Brooklyn on a day, you know, on a, a, a given day. And each one of the characters is named after an emotion. Mm. Uh, a, you know, along the, 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 with the thought that men don't often show emotion. So you have love, you have lust, you have wisdom, you have uh, depression. And they, they, the, the idea is to just show black men in their diversity. And what a beautiful, beautiful time to do it on Broadway. Seven new shows, the seven new shows coming to Broadway, as I understand it, are shows who are that are about or produced, co-written or written by African American men, and this is by Keenan Scott II. Um, he started this piece back in I think 15 years ago, out of Frostburg State State University, I think it was called at the time, or Frostburg University in Maryland. And so to see this come to fruition is pretty amazing. With lead producers, African American men, and D- Diana Demena and Cheryl Lee Ralph of course, from um, Dreamgirls is one of the lead producers. So I'm just really excited to be a part of the production team and have people have the opportunity to come back and see or sit in those seats and see Black men's lives reflected back in the wholeness of what it is versus the stereotypes that we often see. I'm hoping there'll be a national tour because obviously, you know, 
getting to New York and getting around the country right now is a bit is a bit complicated. But yeah, I'm yeah. hoping I hope it's successful. I hope there's a national tour that goes with it. I appreciate you, Derek. Thank you. And hopefully some even some video or some some sort, just a, an opportunity to get it out there. You know, and I guess, as you say, in a time when people are sometimes reticent to go back to the theater. Now, everybody in the theater, Broadway theaters at this point, according to the Broadway League, you have to be you'll have to be vaccinated, you know, which is which is great. But then, as we know, there are some people who are not being vaccinated. So, you know, they're not going to have access mm-hmm. at this point. So, like I said, um, they have this, uh, what do they call those um, theatrical experiences where they film it and they put it in theaters? Um, exactly. They, they, exactly. That's escaping me the name of it right now. But, yeah, that, maybe that might be. Yeah, and, of course, they always archive those shows, you know. But, oh, again, yeah. you'd have to go go to to the location where those archives are. But, as, as we know, a lot of people got to see Hamilton just because they recorded it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Now, you have spoken out against systemic racism. How far has the Black Lives Matter movement come, in your opinion, since George Floyd's murder? How far has the movement come? I I don't really know if I have the answer to that question. I think that remains to be seen. I think that it has it's been great to have allies, people who are non-black or not, you know, non-people, people who are not people of color, support and understand the importance of humanity for all of us. Right. In terms of how far the movement has come, I'm not really sure. I know that we have seats at the table that we didn't have before. I am co-producing now, I think partly because of the fact that there's access that we didn't have. My question is always, is the, is the seat at the table a folding chair or is it a permanent chair? Mm. You know, Are we creating our own table and inviting other, others to our table, right? But yeah, certainly there's been a, a racial reckoning. There's been a, a racial awareness. I have a lot of friends, man, who are not African-American or not quote unquote people of color who were just not aware. They just, you know, people were living their lives and they weren't aware, right? And now there are, they are. They're learning what it's like to be an anti-racist, right? Because if you have a certain amount of privilege, you may not see that everybody doesn't experience that. I walk through the world every day knowing that I'm a black man, every single day. I'm reminded of it every single day in one shape or, or another. Microaggressions, or just, you know, when people say things like to me, Derek, when they say, well, I don't see you as black. Like, well, then that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, why can I not be black and still be OK? I, I know that they're trying to give me some level of, of humanity, if you will, and going, I don't see your color. But inherent in that is the idea that I, you have to wipe it away in order to see my humanity, as opposed to just include it and know that that's just who I am. If you're from Wales, you're from Wales, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so why can't we accept all of that diversity? You know, it's it's me and my wife, uh, both when we moved to, um, so she grew up uh, obviously here in Tulsa and I moved to Tulsa when I was young. And we're, as we're growing up, growing up, growing up, we were never told about the, uh, the Tulsa race massacre. Mm, and it God. wasn't until, in fact, her and I were having a very interesting discussion about it not long ago, is I wasn't until my late 20s, maybe early 30s was the first time I ever heard about it. And mm. now, obviously, you know, we, we just came up on the 100 years um, centennial. They're, they're digging around right now for the mass graves. Sure. Um, I can, I mean, I can drive 10 minutes. I'll be in the Greenwood district. And uh, it's, it's become almost a beacon of black culture i mean it there's you know there's beautiful murals now everywhere a lot of black owned businesses are there um it's it's just a very moving 
powerful uh, place if you if you understand you know the, the great scope of what happened um, yeah. so long ago. And uh, yeah, yeah it, it's we had just had the fact we just had uh, President Biden here not long ago. Um, he gave a speech uh, at the Greenwood District. Yeah, and I appreciate you bringing that up because it really is a microcosm of exactly what I'm saying. I think that a lot of people weren't they just weren't aware. I mean, you can't know everything all the time. You know what I'm right. saying? Oh, so a lot of people weren't aware, and there are people who are who are African American who, if you're in your 20s, you may not be aware. Right. You know. They may not understand that, you know, desegregation was not that long ago in my lifetime, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So it's, 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 it's an interesting, it's an interesting time. It's an interesting, interesting time. If people want to pay attention, there is a lot of things that need attention. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you bringing that up, man, because, if, you know, you can't, you can't knock somebody for not knowing. Yeah. You can knock them for not wanting to know. That's a different thing. The fight right now we're having here in Oklahoma is to get it taught in the curriculum in schools because oh, I mentioned earlier, we, we just didn't know. It was never taught to us. And yeah. um, it, there's, a, there's been just so much pushback from yeah. certain groups. And it's, no, no, I it's, get it. It's a constant uphill struggle, unfortunately. And uh, hopefully one day, you know, we'll, we'll all wake up and realize, you know, that I have a T-shirt that I got recently that says history is supposed to make you uncomfortable. And yeah. um, I wear that around and I get a lot of people, you know, make, you know, interesting remarks about it. So, yeah. 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 And yeah, I think that is that it, it doesn't mean that what happened with your ancestors does not mean that you are completely responsible for it, but you may be responsible to it at this mm -hmm. point. Right. And mm -hmm. if you're not willing to even look at it, this whole curriculum issue is, a, is an issue across, across the United States. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just there, but there are things that other people don't want their kids feeling uncomfortable. Well, what about the fact that it happened? You want to talk about uncomfort? How about being an enslaved people? How about having an entire town burned to the ground and all of the history that goes with it? Mm -hmm. You know, like I love the T-shirt, as you said. Send me that T-shirt, bro. I love T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I love T-shirts. That's great. So what does the future hold for you? Um, do you have any big projects in the works? Other than the, the Broadway musical? my I don't have any big projects in the works, as, as it were, uh, that I can speak on, <laughs> right? right. Uh, but I think the future holds more of what, what, what it has held for me, the past has held for me, which is a degree of space to just explore, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been really blessed to have some great roles as an actor, and I look forward to more great roles as an actor, but I'm also very interested in storytelling and what that will look like for me. Mm -hmm. whether it's producing, whether it'll be writing. I think there's so many stories to be told. And now that people are listening, I want to be a part of the conversation. Nice. I, that, yeah. I, that's great. I, I, that, just, that might be one of the best answers I've had since I've done this show. I like that. Oh, cool, man. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know. And the, other last, the last thing about that, Derek, is to just leave space for a little bit of joy and wonderment, right? Because we tend to want to know everything, and I'm falling, you know, into a space as I get older and older. They know, you know what? It's okay. It's okay not to know. Take the journey. Let's see what shows up. You know. So you mentioned you're not huge on social media, but uh, how, if people wanted to seek you out, how's best to find you? Well, I am on Twitter, and I think I need to fix that because <laughs> I don't have many followers. I need to, I think, engage more. But yeah, I'm definitely on Twitter and I need to, I need to do, you know, the, the thing for me there that I'm, I'm having to learn and that is that there's a way obviously to monetize social media. There's a way to, 
you know, expose yourself or share yourself in your life on social media. Mm-hmm. I tend to be a very private person. Uh, and I'm also um, keenly, I try to be keenly aware of the information that comes in, right? Mm-hmm. And social media, for me, I struggle with being clear on what thoughts are my thoughts and what thoughts are other people's thoughts. Yeah. So maybe it comes down to who I follow, who, who um, you know, to be discerning about what I put out and all of that. But that's where that comes from. I'm, I'm really looking at it. I'm not, I'm not proud of it, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it now to to expand my, my breath around it. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I need to get better at it. So, I think you, you touched on something just then that I've kind yeah. of been interested in. It's I've been seeing a lot of lately is, you know, being a celebrity, being in the private, being in the public eye, sometimes it's every decision or even every bad decision you make is, is under a microscope by, absolutely. you know, pop culture by you know certain factions in the world and so forth so it's like even though you might think hey you know what this new matrix movie is going to be great there's going to be about 50 million people either say oh no this sucks and i'm not following you anymore and stuff like that right and exactly it, exactly and it's it's right. been definitely uh it's it's muddy water sometimes to navigate i i i yeah. truly understand that and artistically it's it's it, you know if if as an artist your goal is to to come from a place of truth and to come from a place of, of, of originality, mm-hmm. sometimes if you're metering or monitoring every thought you have and what you want to share based on what you think the outcome will be, again, what you think the outcome will be, or what the matrix tells you that the outcome will be, then are you really being who you are? I mean, are you being authentic? You know, And I see a lot of friends, other actors who suffer, uh, who... Um, anesthetize who uh do what they need to do to get through it there's no coincidence that we we struggle as artists sometimes because we're very sensitive you know very sensitive spirits man so i'm trying to learn how to be engaged with social media but also be real clear on what i let in that's totally that's a totally un, you know realistic expectation that's that's very good yeah, yeah and I, i'm struggling with it i'll get better at it you know, and maybe maybe some of your listeners will help me get better. At it. How about that? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Right? They look at they'll say, "Look at Eric. This is how you navigate social media, bro. Block these people." No. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I end my interviews with my absolute favorite question, and and every answer has been just so unique. So the okay. the question is this: If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the Ooh. one thing you would want to say to the people of Earth? Be more compassionate, be more empathetic, and make space for other people. Eric, thank you for taking the time today to talk to me. This has oh, been man. an absolute treat for me. Well, thank you, man. It's been a pleasure to meet you, to look, you know, to look you up, to listen to some of your podcasts. Keep doing your thing. I love that you are interviewing everybody, bro, from musicians to scientists to psychologist it was it was really a joy to sort of dip in and out of some of your podcasts keep doing your thing man i appreciate that's, that's it one of the nicest compliments i've had thank you so much oh, it's the truth it's the truth man i was like wait a minute this is wait he's doing wait a minute and i'm learning shit i'm excuse my mouth but you know yeah. i'm learning i'm like oh wait that psychology was a female psychologist you had on i was like wow because you know none of us are just one thing i'm not just an actor so the idea of you know listening and learning from a varied group of people and even that you sought them out, I was like, wow, how cool. Keep doing your thing, dude. That's, this is amazing. It's pretty Thank amazing. You. Thank you. You got a new fan. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> I All appreciate right. you, man. Thank you, my friend. Be well.
And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the very end of episode 43 of the Derek Duval Show. Did you enjoy that? Because I sure as hell did. What a truly great man, and he's still so much more left to do on this earth. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at at KingDoke, D-O-A-K-E-S, just like the character. I told you in the last few episodes I was going to be bringing the thunder with the next batch of releases. Don't ever doubt old Derek Duvall again, okay? I have got another great episode lined up, and this time we are bringing on someone the likes of which you have never seen before on this show, so stand by. I don't know if you've been following the rugby like I do, but Wales' campaign to repeat as Six Nations champs hit a kind of a rough start with a complete demolishing by Ireland, but we bounced back strong with a cracking game against Scotland. We have the week off, but I promise you, you'll be hearing more about it as we build up to the greatest rivalry in rugby, Wales versus our mortal enemies, the English. (laughs) On behalf of the entire team here at the Director of All Show, I want to say to each and every one of you, be safe, stay warm, and for the love of God, get the vaccine. Remember, folks, it's not legendary unless someone is there to see it. Nosda, God bless, and see you very soon, Planet Earth. Surprise, motherfucker. This has been a recording of The Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvalShow.com, for the latest news on downloads and to explore past episodes. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.